In December 2019, Lori Vallow's children, Tylee and JJ, were declared missing and in danger. A nationwide search ensued, but Lori refused to cooperate with authorities, instead choosing to spend her time on the beaches of Hawaii. Everyone was asking the same burning question, where are the kids? I'm Marina, with me I have my two best friends, Colby and Laura, and this is Grim. Part two of Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell, and the Doomsday Murders. Give us the toxicology report. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Last time on Grimm. Yes. <laughs> if you have not listened to part one of this story, go back and listen to it because it has all the background that you need. Uh, as I noted last time, I read the book The Doomsday Mother by John Glatt, and there's also a Netflix docuseries called The Sins of Our Mothers. And uh, mother, there's only one mother. <laughs> and um, I also watched a 48-hour special. When we last left off, Lori, Tylee, and JJ were staying at a rental property in Arizona. Charles was threatening to expose Chad and Lori's affair to Tammy Daybell, Chad's wife, and Charles had just asked Lori's brother Adam to stage an intervention and was trying to get Lori excommunicated from the Mormon church with the hopes that she would snap out of her current mindset. I also mentioned that Charles' days were numbered. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you left us. We're all back up to speed now, right? Yes. And let us begin. On Thursday, July 11th, 2019, at 7.35 a.m., the precise time frame has given you good vibes, oh, right? it's never good. Mm-hmm. Never good. Charles arrived to Lori's rental home in Chandler, Arizona. And lit up a room. <laughs> <laughs> Lori had heard that Charles and Adam were planning some sort of intervention, so she had called her brother Alex, her protector, to come stay with her for backup. Was that the same one who tased The taser. Joe? Yep. Yeah. Same, same one. When Charles arrived, he saw Alex's vehicle in the driveway, and he texted Adam that he was concerned that Alex was there. Adam told him to be careful because he felt like his siblings were planning something. At 8.32, Chandler police received a 911 call from Alex Cox, who advised them that he had just shot his brother-in-law in in self-defense. Oh. Dispatchers walked Alex through CPR until officers arrived. Alex came out of the home unarmed and sat on the curb to talk to officers, dramatically dabbing a small cut on the back of his head that was barely bleeding. Alex told officers that Charles had come to pick up JJ that morning for school. He said that Lori and Charles had gotten into it and Alex broke up the tussle. Tylee came out of her room with a baseball bat to defend her mother after she heard them all yelling, but Charles had taken the bat away. Alex said Lori had left with Tylee and JJ to get them away from the situation, and then Charles started coming after him with the bat. Alex said Charles hit him in the head with the bat, so Alex went to his room to get his gun that he always carries with him. He told Charles to put the bat down, and Charles refused. Alex told the officers that when he came at him again with the bat, Alex shot him twice. Officers asked why Alex didn't just stay in the bedroom and close the door when he had the chance. Alex said it hadn't even occurred to him. He said after he shot Charles, he went into the kitchen to wash the blood off of his hands, put the gun back in his bedroom, and called 911. Lori and Tylee arrived back at the house that was now swarmed with police cars and fire trucks. Lori and Tylee didn't even ask what happened. Officers asked Lori if Charles lived in the home, and Lori said they were separated. She said she'd only lived in the house for three weeks and made a joke about what their neighbors must be thinking. Lori and Tylee were informed that Charles Vallow was dead, and they were brought to the police station for formal interviews in separate rooms. Alex was also brought to the station for additional questioning. Lori was asked to explain what she knew about what happened. She told officers that Charles arrived to the house that morning around 8.40 to pick up JJ. Lori said he was being real jerky, and she was just ignoring him. She said she kissed JJ goodbye, and he got in the car with Charles. But Charles realized he forgot his phone and went back into the house to get it, leaving JJ in the car. When Charles got inside, Lori had his phone in her hand and demanded to see his text because she felt like he'd been plotting something. Charles refused and demanded his phone back, but Lori wouldn't give it to him. Lori said Charles started screaming and she feared he would turn violent. Tylee came out of her room with a bat and told Charles to leave her mother alone. 
Alex came out when he heard the commotion. She said she didn't know if Tylee swung at Charles, but Charles grabbed the bat and went to swing it at Tylee. Lori said Alex grabbed the bat to stop him, so Charles turned the bat on Alex. She said Alex and Charles ended up on the ground and Charles was swinging violently. She told Tylee to go to the car with JJ and Lori went to the kitchen to get away from Charles and that's when she heard a gunshot. She said she came back around and saw Charles on the ground. Lori said Alex didn't say anything as they were both in shock. Lori said she was freaking out and not knowing what else to do. She just left to take JJ to school. Stopping at Burger King on the way to grab breakfast. Just a reminder, Alex said Lori wasn't there when Charles was shot. I was just going to say, so right away their stories don't match up because she's still in the house. Yes. And she also said, if we're picking apart words, that she heard a gunshot and he was shot twice. Twice. Right? Correct. Yep. You liar. <laughs> Tylee was also interviewed and the officer was struck by how unemotional she was. Tylee said she was woken up around 7.50 by screaming. So again, the time frames are off. She picked up her baseball bat and came out to find Charles, her mother, and her uncle fighting. She said Charles grabbed the bat from her and her uncle fought Charles to the floor. Tylee said she went outside to the car with JJ and her mother eventually came out and they left. Tylee said she heard the gunshot, but at the time she thought it was someone taking the bat and hitting it extremely hard against the floor. She only knew what the sound was after the fact because her mother had told her. Police noted the strange behavior of Lori and Tylee. They noted that on the ride home back to their house, Lori was smiling and laughing. Police did a walkthrough with Alex, who was cooperative and explained everything. With little to go on, the detectives felt that it was just a case of self-defense. They took Charles's body for an autopsy and they left. Do you want to know what Lori did that afternoon? Did she go to McDonald's to round out the fast food gauntlet? <laughs> she didn't. She threw a pool party at the house. Oh, at the, the murder scene. Yes. That was good. Mm -hmm. Got to get all that extra DNA there. Yeah, definitely. It is amazing to me that this was tagged as self-defense from the start. Yeah. Although my judgment of the facts is clouded by all of my knowledge about Lori and her brother, Alex. But when Alex called 911, he told officers that Charles had just been shot. But when Alex was on the phone with 911, the dispatcher gave him instructions on how to perform CPR, which he said he was doing. When paramedics got there, the evidence indicated he didn't even attempt it because they started CPR and it was forcing pools of blood from his gunshot wounds, which there was no prior evidence of. Big time Robert Wone vibes. Yeah, I was just thinking the same. same. Yep. Yep. Getting the same thing. He's like, I'm yes, I'm doing CPR very well right now. (laughs) And police didn't confirm the timing until later. So I'm not holding this against them right now, but... Based upon Lori and Tylee's version of events, Charles was dying on the floor for 43 minutes before Alex called 911. Oh, God. Charles was shot. Lori saw him dying on the floor. Then she left to get Burger King, dropped JJ off at school, and then she stopped to get flip-flops for her and Tylee at Walgreens before she went back home to the slew of officers and fire trucks. So Charles's death is looking pretty sus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So back to the pool party. Lori left the pool party to call her son Colby and tell him about Charles. She told Colby that Charles had a heart attack in the house and died. Hmm. Why would you have to lie to Colby if nothing but Uh self-defense happened? Right. Colby went straight to the house after work and quickly learned the true story. Lori later told JJ's school that Charles had committed suicide. It's so suspicious like you called 911 your brother called 911 and said it was Mm self-defense why are you not telling people right that he died by an accident or he was shot or something something at least aligned with the facts because you think there might be like a police report to Mm -hmm. verify the information i'm also perplexed because i thought we established in part one that Lori was kind of smart and definitely able to manipulate people so i'm very surprised that she wouldn't think of that i don't think we're criminal masterminds here i think she should have thought the same i think that it was if Lori was careless it was because she would have made her brother take the fall mm-hmm. if it came mm-hmm. down to it i think she would have just thrown him under the bus that's, yeah that's my thought Cold. the next day in the afternoon, Lori texted. She texted Charles's sons to inform <gasps> them about their father's passing. What the fuck? Uh, Lori. Yeah. She said, hi, boys. I have some very sad news. Your dad passed away yesterday. I'm working on making arrangements and I'll keep you informed with what's going on. I'm still not sure how to handle things. Just want you to know that I love you and so did your dad. 
Charles's son, Cole, immediately texted her back asking what happened. Lori said, we're still waiting for the medical examiner report. I'll let you know more when I can. Why is she spinning all of these lies? Okay, nope, continue. Cole said, where is he and what happened? Lori said, I'll call you when I can, bub. He's here in Arizona. The boys hounded Lori with text messages and calls demanding to know what happened and all went unanswered. At one point, one of the kids was like, it's been three hours. I don't care what you're doing. It's Seriously. not more important yeah. than telling us about our dad right now. She was swimming. Oh, no, that was the day before. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. That's why she couldn't call them that day. Right. She was busy with the pool party. Right. Yeah. It would have been very rude to her guests. Yeah. She did sneak away to tell Colby, but right. other than that, she didn't have time for the boys. Three to four hours later, Lori responded, I'm sorry you're so upset. I'm upset too. I'm trying to get JJ ready for bed. I'm waiting to hear back from the medical examiner to make sense out of all of this myself. Please be patient with me. It's a crushing situation all the way around. I'm still trying to process it too and what it means for JJ. Lori never brought up the fact that their dad was shot by her brother and you wouldn't need a medical examiner's report to determine that he died by a gunshot. But, you know, that's just me. And maybe like get on the phone and talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, their mother, when they found out that Lori texted them, she was furious. She's like, she could have called me and had me go tell them. Yep. Handled very poorly. Four days after Charles was killed, Lori called Banner Life Insurance to cash in on Charles's million dollar policy. Of course. Mm -hmm. At which point she was told that Kay had been made the sole beneficiary. Yes. Ha. Ha. Lori told Chad that the demon possessing Charles must have done it before they got to him, but she said she'd still get the social security payments. Lori was furious and sent a picture of the change of beneficiary form to Kay with a text that said, five kids and no money and his sister gets everything. That was the last time Kay and Larry heard from Lori and Lori began restricting their contact and FaceTime sessions with JJ. I'd be like, you're damn right. You get nothing. Bitch. Yeah. I got several words from Lori. (laughs) You're going to hate her even more in a second. Is it possible? Yes. Yeah, because she's going to hurt the kids. I I can feel it. If she hurts my namesake. (laughs) So Lori didn't get the life insurance payout that she expected. So another option for her to make a quick buck? She put JJ's beloved service dog, Bailey, up for sale for $2,500. She said the dog brought so much love to their home, but his owner recently died and he needed a new home. Lori was quickly informed that it was illegal to sell a specially trained service dog, so she called the trainer she got it from and told him that they had to rehome Bailey. The trainer was shocked, noting that JJ would need the dog more than ever now, but Lori said that Bailey was more Charles's thing and that it would be too hard having him around. What a selfish bitch. (laughs) Yes. Yep. I feel so bad for JJ. Seriously. On August 10th, JJ made a FaceTime call to his grandparents, Kay and Larry. The call lasted just 35 seconds, and the grandparents felt that something was wrong. JJ normally called them throughout the day on his iPad to say hello, which he hadn't been doing. This call, he said, hey, mama, hey, papa, and then he looked up at something and said, I've got to go, I've got to go, bye. Kay felt like he was being coached and that he was looking up at someone. That night, Kay emailed Lori and thanked her for letting JJ FaceTime them and offered to fly to Phoenix to spend time with JJ. Lori never responded. Two weeks later, Kay sent another email begging to come visit or FaceTime with JJ. Again, no response. Less than three weeks later, Lori swung by Colby's workplace to tell him that she got a new job that required them to move somewhere cold, but Lori didn't tell Colby where they were moving. Colby said Tylee looked emotional and sad the whole time, and he remembers giving Tylee a pathetic hug. Janice, Lori's mother, was able to say goodbye to Tylee the same day before she moved, Janice remembered that Tylee looked so sad. Janice asked her if she was going to be okay, and Tylee burst into tears. Janice hugged her, and Tylee said, I'm okay, Mimi. I've got everything I need. I just needed to cry. Oh, oh no. On August 31st, 2019, Lori told the dog trainer to come get Bailey immediately because they were leaving. JJ was already in the car when the trainer got there, and Lori brought out the dog and his belongings. She told the trainer to tell Tylee that he'd already found a new home for Bailey if she asked because Tylee was upset that Lori was getting rid of the dog. The trainer was dumbfounded but took the dog. Good. 
Lori Tiley and JJ left and moved into their new apartments in Rexburg, Idaho on September 1st, and their uncle Alex came along as well, renting a unit in the same complex. Oh, did he now? And it's the same town that our dear pal Chad lives in. Oh, you, you noticed I that? I did notice oh, that. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was busy dealing with a pit in my stomach about the dog. I know that he's okay, but it just, that breaks my heart. It's very sad. I just, the dog was so important to mm-hmm. him, so yep. for her to take the dog away upsets she me. She very clearly does not care about the well-being not of at children. All. In not not at this point. Form. No, no, not at this point. A week later, on September 8th, Lori, Tylee, and JJ went to Yellowstone National Park for their day. There's a picture of Tylee and JJ in the park with Uncle Alex standing in the background. That was the last time that Tylee was seen. According to a proud Lori, Tylee was away studying at BYU-Idaho University. Kay and Larry were increasingly concerned about not seeing JJ. Kay was begging Lori to have humanity and let them visit him or take him for the weekend. Lori still wasn't responding. Around the same time, Chad informed Lori that JJ was now a zombie. No. Lori told her friend Melanie the news and told her that JJ loved Satan. His demonic possession was further evidenced by his ever-growing vocabulary and the fact that he liked to sit and watch TV. Uh, someone call a priest because my house is possessed as fuck. Uh, <laughs> here. That is the criteria for demonic possession. Lori told Melanie that she was going to send JJ to live with his grandparents in Louisiana because he was interfering with their spiritual mission. She said she was going to tell Kay that she had breast cancer and couldn't care for JJ anymore. On September 22nd, Lori was recording a podcast in the kitchen of her condo from 9 to midnight with Melanie and Melanie's boyfriend. Lori told them that Alex was babysitting JJ at his condo because JJ was misbehaving. In the middle of the recording, Alex came in with JJ in his arms, who Melanie said appeared to be asleep with his head on his uncle's shoulder. Alex carried JJ up to Lori's bedroom, and that was the last time that anyone saw him. What the fuck is wrong with this woman? Like... Okay, you don't want your kids anymore. Why do you have to kill them? Send send the poor child to his grandparents. Right, who want him and would happily take him. Yeah. Oh, God. There is nothing that anybody could say to me about Lori that would make me feel anything other than pure blinding hatred toward mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's ironic that she is this, like, wholesome religious person right. when all she is is pure evil. She Well, she's a 4.3 light, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Not on my scale. <laughs> Not on my scale either. More like 4.3 loser. Ayo. <laughs> the next morning, Melanie and David were leaving, and they didn't see JJ. David asked to say goodbye, but Lori said Alex came over to get him because he was being a zombie. Lori said that he climbed on top of the fridge and smashed her picture of Jesus and then climbed onto the upper cabinets and got between the top of the cabinets and the ceiling. So they never saw him that morning. Two days later, on September 24th, 2019, which was actually Tylee's or what would have been Tylee's 17th birthday, Lori called JJ's elementary school to say that JJ would be absent for a while because he would be staying in Louisiana with his grandparents. That same day, Colby texted Tylee to wish her a happy birthday. Tylee responded, but Colby got a weird vibe from her responses. The punctuation didn't seem right, and it just didn't look like Tylee's usual text messages. Tylee would not return his calls, and she just said she was really busy with school. Colby called his mother to ask her about Tylee and JJ, and Lori was evasive and said that they were fine, and Tylee was very busy with school. Colby ended up calling out Tylee on her different texting style and punctuation, and then the text messages stopped. Mm -hmm. Another friend got a text response at the end of October from Tylee's phone, and she also questioned whether Tylee had sent it. On October 1st, Lori rented a 10-foot by 10-foot storage unit in the name of Lori Ryan. Over the next few days, she brought boxes of family memorabilia, sports equipment, Tylee and JJ's clothes, and JJ's beloved bike and backpack to the unit. The next day, back in Gilbert, Arizona, Brandon Boudreaux was just getting out of his Tesla in his driveway after going to the gym. Brandon is Melanie, Lori's niece's estranged husband, and they were in the middle of a divorce. Brandon saw a Jeep Wrangler with Texas plates parked across the street. The back window opened and Brandon heard a muffled gunshot before his driver's side window shattered. What? The bullet missed his head by inches. Brandon sped off and the Jeep followed for a few blocks before peeling off and Brandon called 911. 
Maybe unsurprisingly, the Jeep that Brandon saw was registered to oh, Charles oh. Vallow. Oh, I was going to say it's Al- It's registered to Alex. Okay. Nope, I would have been wrong. <laughs> you were almost right. It's Alex in the van because yes. Alex is Lori's henchman. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hitman, yep. Brandon was immediately suspicious of Melanie and her aunt and went into hiding, fearing for his life. But why him? Just because they were estranged or... What did he have to do with anything? Brandon had a life insurance policy. I was just going to say that to collect the money because they're estranged, not divorced. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yep. Melanie was the sole beneficiary of Brandon's life insurance policy. They needed money for the end times. This is grim. (laughs) An insurance company podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I was... The insurance companies are going to figure this out, guys. Like, there's nothing else that we've established on this podcast. It's that you do not want to try to pull one over on the insurance company because they're coming for you. The police won't figure it out, but the insurance company, they'll get you on the fraud. (laughs) The close calls with death were not limited to people that Lori knew. About a week after the shooting with Brandon on October 9th, Tammy Daybell was in her driveway taking some shopping bags out of the backseat of her car when a man in a ski mask appeared carrying a gun, which Tammy thought was a paintball gun. The man shot at her several times but missed. Tammy called for Chad and the man ran off. Tammy posted about the weird situation on Facebook to warn others, unsuspecting of her husband. Well, I mean, fair. She called the police or she's just like, hey, hey, fam, neighborhood watch. There's a madman in a mask out here shooting people up or trying to. I think she did file okay. a police report as well. Also, Alex maybe needs to spend some time at the shooting range. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not very good. Nope. nope. Shortly after her close encounter with death on October 19th, Tammy Daybell, who was only 49, passed away peacefully in her sleep. Or so Chad Daybell said. Mm, I bet the lie detector test determined that was a lie. (laughs) Chad supposedly noticed that Tammy was dead when he woke up and he called 911 to report her death, explaining she had gone to bed with a cough and didn't wake up. Did she have a little bit of malaria and (laughs) use use some morphine? (laughs) The family declined an autopsy. I feel... I, f- I feel unhappy about that. I, uh, hmm. So her, so, so no toxicology report. No toxicology report. I guess Chad sort of left it up to the kids, whether they wanted an autopsy. When the kids were interviewed, they said that their mother had been in declining health and that over the past few weeks, she was starting to be short of breath and she was going to bed really early. That would be the morphine. I was going to say, you know, that happens morphine. when somebody's <laughs> consistently poisoning you. Yeah. It's- also, I wonder if the religion had a- played a part in that. I don't know enough about their religion to know if, if autopsies are generally frowned upon. I think but they, I wonder. I think they all just accepted that it mm. was natural causes. Mm. I feel like autopsy should be mandatory. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> a few hours later, Chad posted about Tammy's death on his Facebook page. He said, I'm saddened to share that my beautiful, talented wife, Tammy, passed away early this morning in her sleep. It's a shock to all of us. She was so beautiful in every way. We're still working out the details, but we plan to hold a viewing Monday evening in Springville, Utah, then hold the funeral and burial there on Tuesday. We'll hold the memorial services in Rexburg on Wednesday at 11 a.m. at the Henry's Fork Steak Center. We're overwhelmed. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I, was, I know it's uh, supposed to be S-T-A-K-E. I went back to Omaha Steaks. <laughs> Maybe they had steaks. We're overwhelmed with the outpouring of love and support. Thank you so much. The fact that he had all of her services planned a few yeah, hours later on. is sketchy. Yep. Like, I know you're involved in the church, but that's, that's like, too much. That's, that's quick. It's a quick turnaround. Chad told those close to him that he'd had a vision that Tammy was going to die in a car accident on a trip to Utah, but she didn't. So the only logical conclusion, she'd been taken over by an evil spirit and had become a zombie. Naturally. Tammy's memorial service was three days later. Chad told those around him that Tammy's spirit had already visited him to help set his affairs in order and give advice on their children. So Chad was at peace with it. Mm -hmm. On Sunday, November 3rd, Lori and Chad flew to Kauai and checked into a luxury suite at the Kauai Beach Resort. They went online and contacted a Hawaiian wedding package company to inquire about a romantic beach wedding for November 5th, just two weeks after Tammy's death. 
They could afford whatever package they wanted since Chad had just collected Tammy's life insurance that was worth more than $400,000 since Chad had just made significant increases to her life insurance policies weeks before her death. Oh, so he'll get caught by the insurance company. Yep, I was just going to say the insurance company's going to catch it. (laughs) Lori and Chad were married on the beach on November 5th, and soon after, Chad sent an email to a realtor about a local home. Chad wanted to know if the owners would lease to a couple with no pets or children. Yeah, no pets. Mm-hmm. Assholes. Or children. Or children. We've disposed oh, yeah. of some children. <laughs> Laura's focused on the Sorry. dog. I'm still really sad about that. To say Kay Woodcock was worried about JJ at this point is an understatement. She hadn't seen JJ since the short FaceTime call in August, and Lori was not responding to any of her calls and emails. Thankfully, Kay still had some of the login information for Charles' accounts, so Kay logged in to see if she could find any information about where Lori was and what she was doing. Kay saw on Charles's Amazon account that someone had purchased matching wedding rings on Amazon on October 2nd in Charles's name and had them shipped to Rexburg, Idaho. Okay, wait a second. On October 2nd, when was, um, uh, shoot, what's her name? Chad's wife. Tammy? Yeah, when was Tammy killed? Uh, the 19th. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so she was shot at in her driveway on October 9th, and she died peacefully in her sleep on October 19th. Premeditated. A little bit. Kay had no idea that Lori and the kids weren't in Arizona anymore. Charles's Amazon account was also used to buy an extra large white button-down cotton shirt and linen slacks that Chad wore on their wedding day in Hawaii. With the Rexburg address in hand from Amazon, on November 25th, Kay called the Rexburg police to conduct a wellness check of Tylee and JJ. The next day, the Rexburg police showed up to the Doomsday condo complex to perform a wellness check on JJ, based upon Kay and Larry Woodcock's report. At that point, the condo complex was Doomsday Headquarters with Lori, Alex, and Melanie all living there. When the police arrived to the condo, Alex answered the door with Chad standing behind him. The police asked if Lori was there, and Alex said that she was out. The police asked to see JJ, to which Alex didn't respond initially. The police repeated their request, and Alex told them that JJ was with his grandmother in Louisiana. Mm. Mm. the lie detector just determined that was also a lie <laughs> you, oops yeah oops. Uh, i believe the officer said something like uh that's not likely since she's the one that called so police knew that that wasn't true police asked for Lori's cell number but alex said he didn't have it like, <laughs> of <okay>. course <laughs> you're her brother I, I don't you know. live like a building away yeah well, that's why he didn't need her cell phone number. Oh, right, because they right. have walkie-talkies. They yeah. Yeah. With yeah, they just walk. doomsday prep kit. Yeah, they just walk over there. Cell towers won't be available. Gotta have those yeah. walkie-talkies. Yeah. Chad denied having her cell phone number either and said he'd only met her a couple of times. One of which being the wedding. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, Police were aware that they were married, so that's not a good look for you. Because they no. were legally married, I'm guessing. So it's probably written everywhere, recorded everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Chad did ultimately provide her cell phone number to police. He told them that he lied about it the first time they asked because he felt like he was being accused of something. The police knocked on the door of Lori's and Melanie's townhouse, but there was no answer. Police left a message on Lori's voicemail to let her know they needed to speak with her. The police left and planned to get a warrant at this point. Prior to getting the warrant, they returned to Lori's townhouse to try to talk to her, and she answered the door this time with Alex. Lori spoke to the police and told them that JJ was fine. He was in Arizona with Lori's friend, Melanie Gibb. Lori explained to the police that Chad and Alex were evasive earlier because she's basically been in hiding. She said that her brother, Adam, has been trying to kill her for her life insurance policy. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. The officers asked who had been with Alex earlier, and she said, oh, that's probably his friend, Chad. (laughs) Officer. Oh, I'm sorry. His friend, Chad, who also happens to be my secret husband that you guys know about. (laughs) Officers were unable to get a hold of Melanie and Lori said they must be at the movie seeing Frozen 2 because JJ wanted to see that movie so badly. While the police were talking with Lori, Chad called Melanie and warned her that she would be getting a call from Rexburg police since they thought that JJ was with her. Melanie was confused because Lori had told her that JJ was in Louisiana with Kay, but Chad said he wasn't there. Lori then called Melanie and was upbeat, telling Melanie to tell police that she had JJ and that they were at the movies watching Frozen. Lori also asked Melanie to take a picture of random kids running around to send to the police and say that one of them was JJ. (gasps) The audacity to think that you can make this much of a blatant lie. 
She really does think she's God. She really does. I'm hoping her friend Melanie is like tells the truth and the jig is up here. She does eventually. Mm. But Lori told Melanie that Kay was trying to kidnap JJ. And that's why Lori was hiding him and protecting him. So she was just asking for Melanie's help to protect JJ. Where did she tell Melanie that JJ was though? For real? She didn't. She didn't. She couldn't tell him because then she would be in danger too. Mm -hmm. Naturally. From the zombies. (laughs) Nick Schneider. Nick Schneider is out to get you. (laughs) Police did get a hold of Melanie and at Chad and Lori's request, she initially lied. She told police that JJ was with her and would soon be back with Lori. Melanie said she had a bad feeling in her stomach at the time. After their encounters with the police, everyone took off until things calmed down. The police obtained warrants to search all three townhouses the next day, but they were all mostly empty. I'm shocked that they didn't go to the movies to just see him and validate that he was okay. It probably was a lack of coordination between those two police stations at the time because one's Idaho, one's Arizona. True, but still. The uh, police also searched the storage unit and found the kids' belongings. Not a good look, Lori. No. After lying to the police, Melanie started to get nervous that she was going to be implicated in whatever was going on with Chad and Lori. Melanie confronted Lori on a recorded telephone call, hoping to get Lori to incriminate herself. Go Melanie. Yeah. Which this call is on the sins of our mother. Like most of of the call, like the clips of them talking. Melanie asked Lori what happened because Lori told her that JJ was in Louisiana, but he's obviously not there. Lori said again that she had to move him because Kay threatened to kidnap him. Lori told Melanie that she would be in danger if she knew where he was. Lori told Melanie that they keep JJ protected and Melanie point blank asked if JJ was safe. Lori said he is safe and happy. Melanie asked why Alex told her that she didn't want to know where JJ was and that he'd never be found. Lori was defensive and said, I don't know why he would say that. The two talked some more about Lori's mission and scripture and Lori became suspicious of the call. Lori told Melanie that she loves her with all of her heart and Melanie said if Lori loved her, she wouldn't have lied and told police that she had JJ. Lori said she was just following God's instructions. Melanie said she believed Lori has been deceived by Satan. She said Tammy died, Charles died, JJ's missing, doesn't sound like God's plan to me. So then Lori turned it on Melanie and said it sounded like Melanie had been influenced by someone dark. The two continued to argue and the call ended when Lori hung up on Melanie. It seems like Melanie is making the connections that we obviously can make because we are hearing the whole story, but she's actually the one in the best position to make those connections right. of all these, these uh, quote unquote natural deaths. Right. Hmm. Because Melanie is sort of a doomsday prepper. She's right. gone to these preparedness camps, but she's like, that doesn't mean that you should be killing people. No, like, you don't there's... need to accelerate this. Right, right. No need to expedite it. Yeah. Like Noah and the Ark, the Doomsday Cult seemingly had to proceed to the end times in two-by-two fashion. Lori and Chad were paired up, so now it was time for Alex and Melanie. Over Thanksgiving weekend, Alex Cox married Zulima Pastines, a longtime friend of Chad and Lori's. Alex, which you might remember her from the Hiplos. Yes. She, she named Hiplos. Alex took his wife's last name, which is totally fine and progressive, but it was probably to hide his criminal past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Also, I thought when you said it was time for Alex and Melanie, I thought they were uh, going to get together. I thought so, too. And that's why I was confused, because I thought this was maybe a um, Shana and Liz situation. And oh, I was Shana. like, oh, yeah. is it? Oh, yeah. And is it uh, Melanie? Does she have a different name that I forgot? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Okay. Thank you. I'm up but to yeah, speed no, now. Yeah, it did look like they're mar- they're not married. No. Melanie married... Ian Pawlowski, a man she had met on an LDS dating website less than two weeks earlier. Convenient. <laughs> when it's love, is love. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, all these people had connected due to the Mormon faith, but now Lori, Chad, Melanie, and Zulima were all well outside the ideologies of the church. Chad had actually been excommunicated for declaring himself a prophet. He was stripped of his membership, could no longer take part in the sacrament, and was banned from entering the Mormon temple. Although Tammy's death was initially considered to be from natural causes, the police were suspicious of Chad and Lori's actions after the fact, and especially with the kids not being there for the wellness check, they Mm. were starting to look into Lori and Chad. It was all very hush-hush, but at 6 a.m. on December 11th, 2019, 
Tammy Daybell's body was exhumed and was taken to the Utah Medical Examiner's Office to be autopsied and photographed, and she was back in the ground by 2.30 that same afternoon. Whoa. They were not fucking around. No. Excellent. The next day, so just remember this timing, December 12th, Gilbert police were called to the home of Zalima Pastines, Alex Cox's new wife. That morning, Zalima went to work and left Alex home with her son, Joseph. Oh, no. <laughs> Alex was supposed to meet Melanie that day, but canceled at the last minute, saying that he wasn't feeling well. He'd been complaining of shortness of breath since he made a long day trip to Mexico to buy some prescription drugs. That afternoon, Zalima texted Alex, but only got a brief response. Alex then called a friend asking for a blessing over the phone. The friend was extremely concerned and called Zalima, telling her to get home. Zalima called Alex, who was having trouble even speaking. Zalima rushed home and asked her son to check on Alex in the meantime. Joseph found Alex lying unconscious on the bathroom floor in his own feces. Joseph dialed 911. The operator tried to walk him through CPR, but Joseph was frozen. Zalima burst through the door and took over, but it was too little too late. An autopsy was performed, and the medical examiner ruled that Alex had died of natural causes. Blood clots had been found in his lungs, which his mother said ran in the family, and he suffered from severe atherosclerotic and hypertensive cardiovascular disease, leading to high blood pressure caused by plaque buildup in his arteries. What was it again he suffered from? I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You did very well with that. Uh, So I, and I think Colby, by her reaction, this Colby, by the way, um, (laughs) we thought that it was going to be Zalima's son that met his demise. Alex, we we presume he killed himself, but wow, right? Because it was a day after Tammy was exhumed. Yeah. Oh, okay. So at this point, he knows that Tammy's body was exhumed, even though it was kept all hush hush. I believe so. I think Alex was the fall guy, and I'm not sure if he committed suicide. I think Lori killed him. I think that he was poisoned like Tammy with this shortness of breath. That's noted for both of them. But you said he went to Mexico for some prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. That's weird. Isn't it? Isn't that incredibly weird? (laughs) (laughs) It is weird. I I don't know if he could have given them to Lori and Lori gave them back to him to drug him. Because it could have been the same thing that they were giving Tammy, where Tammy started becoming short of breath and going to bed really early. But yeah. Alex was the fault. Again, I don't know if they murdered him or if he uh, committed suicide or if this is just the unluckiest group of people that has ever existed (laughs) and everyone around them just Mm -hmm. dies untimely deaths from natural causes. I, I, I would say we can figure out if it's a natural death or unnatural or suspicious. I should, I should say, did he have an insurance policy, a life insurance policy? That is not part of the fact. Because so if he did, I would say it's probably <laughs> suspicious. No, not that I'm aware of. Okay. I was thinking she's just cleaning up loose ends. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it could be either way. That's possible. And yeah, you're getting rid of you're getting rid of the fall guy yeah. Yeah. to protect yourself. When police learned about all the mysterious deaths surrounding Lori and Chad, police set up a joint task force with the Rexburg, Chandler, and Gilbert Police Departments, which kudos to them. Yeah. During the police investigation, Melanie's newest beau, Ian Pawlowski, agreed to cooperate with police and gave them all the information that he had. He had initially thought that Melanie's beliefs were fun and exciting, but after they were married and Melanie started telling him more about their beliefs, like about zombies and what Chad and Lori said about spirits being caught in limbo until the body's death, he was shook. Mm-hmm. Ian produced a spiritual manifesto authored by Chad Daybell. In it, Chad asserted that him and Lori were translated beings that did not need to sleep or eat. They had accelerated healing powers, so wounds were never fatal. He defined zombies as spirits trapped in limbo, unable to progress to a new mortal life. The only way forward is for them to await the death of their current possessed body. His manifesto concluded with the assertion that wizards and sorcerers are real, as are the spells and curses in the Harry Potter books. One just needed great focused will to use them. Wingardium Leviosa. Or whatever. I'm not a Harry Wing, Potter fan. Wingardium Come for me, guys. Leviosa. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all real. Yeah, definitely. I, I, Careful what you say, guys. Ben Hogwarts. <laughs> we need these microphones to stay here. <laughs> On December 20th, Rexburg police and the FBI went public with their search for JJ and Tylee, linking it to Tammy Daybell's newly opened death investigation. 
They issued a press release with the headline, Missing Endangered Children, and noted that Tylee and JJ hadn't been seen since September and that their mother mysteriously disappeared after a welfare check in late November. The release noted that at the welfare check, Chad and Lori told police that JJ was staying with a family friend in Arizona, but he wasn't there. The release also stated that attempts to obtain the cooperation of Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell in locating the children have been unsuccessful. Oh, yeah. Where's Lori in all this? Hawaii. Oh. In Kauai, which happens to be one of the less developed islands. It's not an accident that she chose to hide there Mm. instead of Maui or the big island. Mm. In Hawaii, Chad and Lori hired a law firm in Idaho that issued a statement that Chad Daybell was a loving husband and Lori Daybell is a loving mother. They look forward to addressing allegations against them once they have moved beyond speculation and rumor. The original press release garnered national attention to look for Tylee and JJ. On December 30th, Rexburg police issued another release thanking the media for publicizing the story. Police stated that they strongly believe that JJ and Tylee's lives were in danger. The release stated that law enforcement had information that Lori either knew where her children were now or knew what happened to them and that Lori had completely refused to cooperate. The first search of Chad Daybell's property occurred on January 3rd, 2020, where officers focused attention on a shed at the back of the property, seizing 43 items, including computers, cell phones, journals, and DNA. On January 16, 2020, the state of Idaho filed a child protection action ordering Lori to produce JJ and Tylee within five days to the Rexburg Police Department. Prior to this, cops were not aware that the couple was in Hawaii, but they needed to locate them in order to serve the order. Detectives discovered the plane tickets to Kauai and used cell phone tracking data to find their location in Hawaii, and they served them on January 25th. Lori had to produce JJ and Tylee within five days or be held in contempt. The next day, Kauai police pulled Lori and Chad over on their way to the Kauai Beach Resort, serving them search warrants for their SUV and rental property. During the search of the condo, they found JJ's iPad and school registration, Tylee's ATM card, and both children's birth certificates, but no other sign of them. Lori and Chad were seemingly unfazed by the whole thing. Lori was flippant to reporters asking questions about her kids' whereabouts, and a day after the search of the SUV and rental house, Chad and Lori were spotted at the resort headed out in beach attire. On January 30th, Kay and Larry Woodcock convened in Rexburg with reporters and TV crews waiting for Lori to arrive with the children. Her deadline was approaching at 5 p.m., and in anticipation, Kay and Larry had filed a petition for emergency guardianship of JJ, calling Lori neglectful which is an understatement. I was just going to say that. Lori and Chad never returned to the mainland. Instead, Lori lawyered up with two local Hawaiian lawyers. A warrant was issued for Lori's arrest, and on February 20th, Lori was arrested by Kauai police and was charged with two counts of felony desertion of a child, misdemeanor charges of resisting and obstructing an officer, solicitation of a crime, and contempt. Her bail was set at $5 million pending extradition back to Idaho, and she was facing a maximum sentence of 14 years in prison. There were no charges against Chad at that time. Lori's lawyers fought hard to have her bail reduced, but the prosecutor was able to convince the judge that the circumstances were extraordinary and that Lori was a flight risk. Lori was extradited back to Idaho on March 5th, 2020, and was arraigned in court the next day. Lori was present with three new lawyers. Her lawyers again asked that bail be reduced from $5 million, claiming that it was astronomically excessive and is a violation of Lori's constitutional rights. The judge reduced Lori's bond to $1 million, but if she did manage to post bond, she'd have to wear an ankle monitor. Lori was grinning at Chad as she was escorted out of the courtroom. Ugh, sickening. In May, Lori's mother and sister sat down for an exclusive interview with a local news station. The two complained that the media was falsely portraying Lori as a monster and a heartless villain, and Summer said that couldn't be any further from the truth. Janice admitted that she did not know where her grandchildren were, but she said that she believed and trusted that Lori was protecting them from harm for reasons that she could not discuss. She thought maybe they were in a bunker somewhere, which would make sense with them being doomsday planners. They did not believe that Lori could have had any involvement with Charles's death, and Janice laughed about the statement that Alex got the reputation of being the family hitman. She said that Alex was the most laid-back person, and he was protective of Tylee and Colby. Janice admitted that it looked bad that Lori and Chad were on a beach in Kauai while there was a nationwide search for Tylee and JJ, but Janice pointed out that the children were not missing to Lori, so that makes it a different story for her. It's a a good argument. 
It's a fair point. It's yeah. a point. It's a good argument, but she's failed to produce any evidence right. that they're still among the living. But mm. she's protecting them. Mm-hmm. Somebody needed to protect them from her. No, <laughs> correct. Meanwhile, Chandler police had reopened the investigation into Charles Vallow's shooting death. The officers were targeting Lori since Alex was now dead. On April 1st, Chandler investigators sent their case against Lori to the county attorney's office, recommending she be charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. The police said that Alex's claims of shooting in self-defense did not match the evidence and that Charles was planning an intervention the day he was murdered to confront Lori about an alleged affair with her current husband, Chad Daybell. The autopsy revealed that Charles had been shot twice, once in the abdomen and once in the chest. The report shows the gunshot to the chest was from the front to the back and in a slightly downward trajectory. Police say the shot was fired while Charles was laying on the ground, likely after being shot in the stomach while standing. Meanwhile, the police and FBI were busy combing through all the evidence that they had thus far against Lori and Chad. At the end of May, beginning of June, police stumbled upon an interesting text from Chad Daybell to his late wife that was sent on September 9th, 2019, the day after Tylee was last seen at Yellowstone National Park. The text said, well, I've had an interesting morning. I felt I should burn all of the limb debris by the fire pit before it got too soaked by the coming storms. While I did so, I spotted a big raccoon along the fence. I hurried and got my gun and he was still walking along. I got close enough that one shot did the trick. He's now in our pet cemetery. Fun times. Super fun times, it sounds like. Mm. The FBI sent the text to Rexburg police who were immediately suspicious for several reasons. The Rexburg police asked the FBI cellular analysis team to look into Alex Cox's cell phone GPS data for September 9th. They found that Alex had been on the Daybell property for most of the morning of the raccoon text. He was also on the Daybell property the morning after Melanie and her boyfriend last saw JJ sleeping on Alex's shoulder. Mm. The FBI developed a search plan to go to the property to look for bodies. On June 9th, 2020, a search warrant was executed at the Daybell property. Chad was advised that they had a warrant to dig up his backyard and that he could stay or go during the search. Chad went to sit in his SUV. During the search, Lori called Chad. She asked if he was okay, and he said no. They're searching the property. Chad told her his lawyer would be calling her. Chad said there's a search warrant and they're looking for the kids. Lori said, okay. And Chad said, so we'll see what transpires. Ugh. Lori asked what she could do for him, and he said he was pretty calm, but asked Lori to call his lawyer. Chad was getting another call and had to go, and Lori asked if she should call him later, and he said, I don't know. You can try. I'll answer if I can. An FBI artist had used the cell phone pings from Alex's phone to draw out where he had been on the property. During the search, Chad took off in his SUV. His children said he was just leaving to go talk to his lawyer. Officers sped off after him, and they arrested him because they'd found human remains. In the area of Chad's pet cemetery, where Alex's phone pinged on September 9th, officials found dismembered body parts that had been burned and placed into a green bucket that was melted. Under the bucket, they found a human head. In the area where Alex's phone pinged on September 23rd, police found three heavy white stones on top of three wooden panels, that were covering a black trash bag containing the body of a small child. Mm. The bodies were brought to the medical examiner's office for autopsies. JJ was easily identified. He was found in the same red pajamas he was wearing in the last known photo of him, and the officials recognized him from his missing poster. Tylee's remains were too damaged by fire to ID by looking at them, and there were no recognizable features. The deputy coroner was able to match the mandible, with Tylee's dental x-rays, and they were able to get enough DNA from a piece of flesh to confirm that those remains did, in fact, belong to Tylee. No one will ever know exactly what happened to the children unless Lori and Chad talk. The only other person who could shed some light on the situation is also deceased. Based upon the evidence, including the cell phone data, the FBI and the police believe that Alex killed Tylee in Lori's townhouse around 2.45 in the morning on September 9th, the day after she was last seen alive at Yellowstone. Data showed Alex left Lori's townhouse at 3.37 a.m. At some point, he dismembered Tylee's body, and after 9 a.m., he brought Tylee's remains to Chad's property. Chad, an experienced gravedigger, likely dug the grave while Alex burned Tylee's body parts in the fire pit on Chad's property. The day prior, 
Chad had checked a weather website to determine wind direction, probably to ensure his neighbors wouldn't smell a burning human body. Ugh. Ugh. That's a thought I didn't need. Yeah. Alex left Chad's property the final time at 1139 and then ate lunch at Del Taco before heading back to his apartment. Gotta fuel up for the next kid, right? Ugh. Ugh. I, Seriously. I hate these people. I yeah. hate them all. When they just go do something normal. Like, right. can you have any semblance of remorse or... Nothing. Anything like you just go eat basically Taco Bell and yeah. go back to your apartment. Like no big deal. No, they, they obviously feel nothing. No. Either late in the evening on September 22nd or early in the morning on September 23rd, someone, most likely Alex, wrapped heavy duty duct tape over JJ's mouth and looped it several times around his chin to his forehead. JJ's hands were folded over his chest and his wrists were bound and then duct tape was wrapped tightly around his arms, over his hands, and over to both sides of his elbows. The detective said they were shocked at how much duct tape was on JJ, who also had duct tape around his ankles. Why was this necessary? That's what I don't get. They could have just, I mean, there were a million people that could have taken the kids. He was six? Six? Yeah. Yeah, because Tylee, seven, Tylee was 17. Yeah. Okay, fine. Ty, Ty Lee is like almost an adult, has a functioning brain, can see what's going on. Again, tying up loose ends. It, why? Why? Why a seven-year-old child? I don't. I don't know. The only thing that I can think. Well, there's two things. One is that everyone that could have possibly been a witness to Charles Vallow's death is dead except Lori. Yep. Mm-hmm. And two, Lori believed that her children were possessed by demons and the only way to free them and free their souls was to destroy the body that they were in. Which is... I don't accept it. No. I know. I know you're not making her point, but... No. No, I'm not. It's just... It's on... Like, Kay and Larry wanted him. Right. Yeah. They were like, we will take him. Like, we don't care. Heartbreaking. I can't. I can't. Alex put a white plastic trash bag over JJ's head and then tied the red drawstring tightly around his neck. Alex then placed JJ's whole body into a black trash bag. Around 10 a.m., Alex was at Chad's property and spent more than 15 minutes near the pond across from the pet cemetery where JJ's body was located. Based upon how quickly JJ must have been buried, experts think the grave digging expertise of Chad was necessary. The trash bag with JJ and it was placed in the grave under the three wood panels and heavy white stones. The day after the bodies were discovered, on June 10th, Chad was arraigned on two felony charges of destruction or concealment of evidence, and bail was set at $1 million. On Monday, June 29th, investigators executed a third search warrant on Chad Daybell's property. They spent almost two hours searching the house, as well as a barn and other parts of the property, leaving with several large brown evidence bags. A few hours later, Lori was charged with two felony counts of conspiracy to conceal or destroy evidence. So Lori had quite a few charges floating around at this point. Lori pleaded not guilty on July 15th to three misdemeanor charges for resisting and obstructing officers, criminal solicitation to commit a crime, for asking Melanie to lie about JJ's Mm -hmm. whereabouts, and contempt of court. A week after Lori pleaded not guilty, the world ended. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You had me. I was like, what happened? (laughs) Shockingly, Chad's prophecies and visions for the end of the world on July 22nd did not come to fruition. So he had to continue to face his criminal charges. At the beginning of August, Chad had a preliminary hearing where the judge found that the prosecution presented sufficient evidence to bind Chad over for trial on his charges. The prosecutor presented evidence about the welfare check on J.J., A detective testified that at the check, Chad told him he had last seen JJ in Alex's apartment in October. Another witness was Melanie Gibb, who testified about the last time that she saw JJ and the phone call that Chad made to her about telling police that she had JJ. Melanie's boyfriend also testified about the last time that he saw JJ and what Lori had said about him being a zombie that next morning. The prosecutor presented the phone call that Lori made right before Chad's arrest and an FBI special agent who testified to the discovery of Tylee and JJ's bodies. Lori decided to waive her preliminary hearing based on the evidence that was presented against Chad. Both Lori and Chad pleaded not guilty to all of the charges brought against them. Police continued to investigate and were working with prosecutors to build a murder case against Lori and Chad. Both Lori and Chad were being held on the other charges, so officials had time to get it right. On Tuesday, May 24th, 2021, 
on what would have been JJ's ninth birthday, Chad and Lori Daybell were indicted on first-degree murder charges for JJ's, Tylee's, and Tammy's deaths. Tammy Daybell's autopsy results still have not been released. In an interview with 48 Hours, one of Chad Daybell's children indicated that the medical examiner told them that they believed Tammy died from asphyxiation. I'm sure there's far more information that will come out during that murder mm. trial. Yeah. That does not sound like a natural cause. Mm-mm. No, when I hear asphyxiation, that sounds like murdery. It's, it does. It sounds murdery, yeah. <laughs> it sounds very murdery. Yeah. A month later, on June 24th, 2021, Lori was indicted and charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder for her role in the death of her late husband, Charles Vallow. Notably, every possible witness to Charles' death is dead, except for Lori. Yep. Which we mentioned. I'll probably cut that. In June, after Lori was charged, Lori was actually deemed incompetent to stand trial by the court. You don't say. (laughs) Yeah, really. She spent 10 or 11 months committed to the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare being restored to mental competence. An article noted that restoration usually lasts 30 to 60 days and Lori's restoration took 10 times as long. In April 2022, the court deemed her fit to stand trial. In October, they found again that she was incompetent to stand trial. And then she was found competent again a month later. The court documents relating to her incompetency have been sealed. So for those who are keeping score at home, Chad and Lori are both charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and first-degree murder for the deaths of Tylee and JJ. Lori's charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder for Tammy's death. Chad is charged with first-degree murder for Tammy's death. As well as insurance fraud for uh, Tammy. There it is. <laughs> yep. For Tammy's life insurance. They'll get ya. Lori's also charged with grand theft for the social security benefits that she collected after the children went missing and then were found deceased. And in Arizona, she's charged with conspiracy to commit first degree murder for the death of Charles Vallow. The state is pursuing the death penalty against both Lori and Chad, who will be tried together. Chad's lawyer tried to have the case severed, arguing that Chad and Lori's version of events and defenses are diametrically opposed, but the judge denied the motion. The pair were set to be tried on January 9th, 2023, but it seems that date was postponed, I believe, due to Lori's recent competency issues and Chad's lawyer's efforts to sever the trials. A new date has not yet been set. That's fascinating. I I doubt we have uh, time or resources to go into this now, but I'm curious about the Um, the thought process between combining into a trial versus separate trials and what the right approaches are obviously depends on all the, all the evidence, but I think for the prosecution, it's better to do them together because they're presenting all of the evidence and showing that it's a scheme Mm. between the two of them. And for the defendants, they want it severed because they're going to try to point fingers at each other. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're married Right. And it's just not going to be a good look for either of them. And I wonder if there's evidence that they wouldn't have been able to include in, say, Lori's case because it's relevant to Chad if the cases were separate. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's okay, definitely things that can and can't come in depending cool. on how the... <laughs> well, not cool, but it's... In... I mean, it's either interesting or cool. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Both? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> So based on the interviews after the fact, I think most, if not all, of Lori's family believe she's guilty. Her sister basically apologized and said she was wrong after the interview that she had in May when they found the bodies later in June. Mm. I think the family did not think that the kids were dead. God, of course. How could you think that your sister was capable of that? Right, right. Chad Daybell's five children have continued to support him and completely maintain his innocence. In an interview with 48 Hours, all five children said that Lori's to blame for all of this, and they don't believe he had any involvement with his mother's death or the death of the children. One of his sons pointed out that the kids were buried in shallow graves, and Chad was a grave digger, so he knew how to do it right. They believe that Chad was framed by Lori and Alex. He didn't do it, but if he had done it, he would have done it better. (laughs) Precisely. (laughs) Precisely. And in the interview... So one of the daughters was like, I was standing with there when he was in the back of the police car and he asked me why he was being arrested. Like, and he, he was completely in shock when they told him that human remains were found on his property. She's like, I saw his face. And the interviewer is like, well, what about the text about the raccoon? Like, yeah. that, that's kind of weird, right? And she was like, well, yeah, I can't explain that. 
And they were like, well, there were no raccoon bodies found in the pet cemetery either. And the family was like, we just started a new pet cemetery <laughs> near a different barn and police didn't dig there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Went to the wrong pet cemetery for the raccoon bodies. It's like every time they were asked about something that made their dad look guilty, they were like, well, we can't explain that, but no way. Like he loved my mom. He wouldn't have done that. It's sad because you think that they may just not want to believe it. You know, know what I mean? Like I it's, I, They're obviously, you know, it, it could be intentional and it could just be, I, I can't possibly believe that. So I, I refuse to. It's also possible that they were not exposed to that side of him in any True. way, shape or mm-hmm. form. They said that they had never heard their dad talk say the word zombie or talk about any of this really? cult stuff. Yeah. Oh. And they said if he was going to start a cult, wouldn't we be the founding members with him? Like, uh, why? No, no, you're zombies. They're zombies. <laughs> well, do we know if his parents, are, if his kids are zombies? I don't think that his kids are zombies. I don't know. Check the Google sheet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The rubric. Go back to it. Let's go back. Where did, I, I guess I could see them being in denial because they would be thinking that like, okay, dad loved mom. And then Lori is this negative force that sort right. of manipulated him into doing things. But... I don't understand how they could be so blind as to not see that he was involved in his wife's death. He got married about a month later. They had the wedding rings weeks before this happened. Well, they admitted that his father was probably spiritually cheating on their mother because he did have an obvious connection with her. And they did get married two weeks after their mom died. So they did acknowledge that. It was just very serendipitous, I guess. Yeah. They also did not know that JJ and Tylee even existed. I'm not surprised by that. They did not hear about these children until officers came to ask them questions about the children. That's crazy. I just don't know. I I, I don't know why you have to involve the kids. I don't know why they couldn't have just given... Like, couldn't she just have given the kids to Charles or their grandparents or anyone... Tylee was her brainwashed little puppet. Like, I know. Why, why dispose, quote unquote, of Tylee when all, you've literally spent your entire life preparing this girl to be yeah. your little mini-me support system? I don't know that Tylee subscribed to any of her wild theories. There were mentions that Tylee was just sort of in the background when she was talking to April. And mm-hmm. I think Tylee missed her friends and she was getting tired of moving. And I think with the whole Charles situation... There's no way that Tylee didn't know some of this. I think she was more of a liability. With JJ, I really think she could have just given him to Kay. I think so, too. Definitely. Um, Yeah. But so if it's true that Chad is innocent, then again, he is the unluckiest person in the whole world. Yeah. The whole world. That would be some bad fortune. As a recap, six people in Lori and Chad's lives have died untimely deaths. There are no charges for Joe Ryan's death. His death to me is the least suspicious and he did have health issues, but Lori did also collect a life insurance policy from him. So it's possible that that was still sketchy. Mm, And it's possible that it was due to complications from being tased on behalf of Lori. Right. So she's probably at fault one way or another. Right. Then there's Charles, JJ, Tylee, and Tammy. Those are all pretty obvious to me. Alex's death was ruled from being from natural causes, but again, he died one day after Tammy's body was exhumed, so I think he was drugged or committed suicide. Yeah. Mm. Now, here's a question I have been pondering. Where is the line between religious beliefs and straight-up delusions that would render a person incompetent to stand trial? Yeah, I was wondering that because, I mean, obviously, I, I have to believe that Lori is unwell and in need of psychiatric help if she could agree to having her children killed. But I don't know. I don't know where that line happens. She is clearly beyond it. But where's the line? Right. But it. But that begs the question to me, just because somebody has wild religious beliefs, does that make them incompetent? It probably, it probably has nothing to do with the fact that they're religious beliefs and more like, is this belief grounded in any way, shape or form in reality? And if the person is out of touch with reality to the extent that I would assume that Lori is, I think that's where the line is. 
They still had the wherewithal to hide the bodies and mm-hmm. lie about it, though. So even though she's not in touch with reality, isn't she still competent enough to know right from wrong to be charged? Oh, I, I feel like some... Okay, so at the beginning, we were thinking, like, Lori is highly intelligent. She probably got sloppy throughout this process. And by probably, I mean, she definitely did get sloppy. Um, so my thought is she's probably putting on a bit of a show to seem mm. like she's not competent to stand trial. I mean, what other out could right. she give herself right now? That's true. And she clearly, like Laura pointed out, I can't remember if it was this episode or the other one, part one, but... Um, she clearly could turn it on and off yes. when she needed to, because I think you have to understand that what you're saying is not within the realm of normal social discussion. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was quiet for a minute, because I was Googling what is de- how you determine competency. And it's saying if there's reasonable, it, they would be mentally incompetent if... They can't assist in their defense. Yeah, basically, if there's reason to believe that they... Um, are not able to understand the nature and consequences of the proceedings against them or assist properly in their defense. So I think Colby's right. I don't think she qualifies. No, because I think Colby's right. Like if you're, if now granted she was talking about zombies and all that, but that's not, that's not saying that she's unable to understand that she has charges against her. Yeah. I don't think it applies. I think, I, I think truly again, that they, somehow ended up believing that there are demons possessing the children and the only way to save them is to kill the earthly vessels that they are in but they knew that it was wrong and they were hiding it so they should Mm -hmm. face charges the question the question has been posed several times who is the mastermind is it chad daybell that is influencing Lori? is it Lori influencing chad are they both influencing each other and Mm -hmm. they both have the same insane thoughts I think more of that will come out when there's a trial and I'm hoping that that happens early next year and that we can do an update, but I cannot imagine a situation where they are not convicted of these charges. That'd be a very good lawyer. Defense lawyer. Hubie Santos. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it before, but I mean, to me, the evidence is, damning with mm-hmm. them where where the children were found the lies like her complete yep. lack of concern the statements that she's made to other people i mean it's just i think the evidence is overwhelming but that's yeah just, that's just me we shall see if the jury agrees we shall see i feel like they probably like when you said who was the real mastermind i feel like ultimately if i had to pick one it's Lori. Mm-hmm. but i think that she and chad played off of each other in mm. a very unhealthy way yeah, I think that them together made everything so much worse. Yeah, I agree. It's like um, when you do those science experiments in school and you put like Mentos in a Coke bottle. That's what I imagine. That is the combination of the two of them. They yeah. they are Mentos and soda. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can neither blame the Mentos nor the soda. <laughs> it, well, it, exclusively. You can blame both of them. I was going to say, I don't know. Yeah. I think Lori's a piece of shit on her own, too. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. yeah. I just mean, yeah. It's both their faults. I don't know. They all suck. How about that? They do all suck. They all stank. So if you are enjoying listening to Grimm, please rate and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss any episodes. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make our day by leaving us a written review. You can find our page on Facebook by searching Grimm, a true crime podcast. If you want to subscribe to our Patreon, you can go to Patreon and search Grimm, a true crime podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast for information on future episodes and case photos, including the beautiful photos of Chad and Lori on the beach in Hawaii two weeks after Chad's wife died. If you want to send us a case suggestion or just say hi, you can email us at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Listen, learn, and stay alive until next time because the future is grim. Grim.